Hey now, and welcome to Where Wine Takes You, America's fastest growing wine podcast where we talk the wine, the people, the stories behind the bottles, coming from the most exciting wine growing region that's at it right now, and that is Paso Robles Wine Country, baby. I am your host, Adam Montiel. I am super excited to get you right into today's show where we will taste Paso's newest 100 point wine. Yeah! From Paso's newest 100-point wine producer, Turtle Rock Vineyards has been no stranger to many 99-point scores, and they finally did it this harvest when Jeb Dunnick awarded five wines out of Paso with 100 points. Two were from Saxon. Congrats, Justin and the team over there. Two were from La Venture. Congrats to Stefan and his team over there. And the new one to Don Burns and the team at Turtle Rock Vineyards. Turtle Rock is located in Tin City, and like Tin City and Paso, just got its first Michelin star restaurant with Six Test Kitchen. Now Tin City has a 100-point wine to try as well. It is the 2019 Turtle Rock Syrah from G2 Vineyards. Now, if you remember, we spoke to Bill Gibbs of G2 Vineyards and got his story, I want to say last year on the show, when we had Elena and Stanley on from Top Winery. Uh, Bill was great. The story behind the vineyards is great. Remember, he was talking about scoping and scouting things out with Justin Smith. Oh, plan here. We got this. The G2 story is fantastic. And he is just, he's got multiple 100-point wines that just came from those vineyards in, in addition to Don's. So aside from the 100-point wine, you're also going to hear something kind of new today. That's wine and NFTs. Now, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the cryptocurrency world and the blockchain and NFTs, which stand for non-fungible tokens. What are they? Should you get involved? I know I'm intrigued. And most important to this conversation, what role will they play in the wine industry and maybe even in your cellar? Just a few weeks ago, Forbes magazine had a really interesting piece called NFTs have arrived in the wine industry. It is a thing. It is happening, and rather than be left aside wondering what everyone is talking about, we'll dig a little, scratch the surface, and get you a little educated on this as well. Well, it has been far too long since I've had a chance to hang with Don. He is so friendly. I love the way we get along. He's so much fun to talk to. Uh, His wife, Claudia, and his teenage daughter, Willow, who I got to see both for a second today as well. But I show up to Tin City, the Turtle Rock Tasting Room. It is beautiful. I can't believe I'm drinking 100-point wine today, and I can't believe I'm taking you with me. I got Georgie. He's rocking his Dodgers jersey. I know they lost. It's fine. Uh, He's still looking good in it, though. We jump in talking about Turtle Rock's only white wine that they make, and Don explaining it to us. Give me that moonshine, boogie bow, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Do it full 18 to 20 months in barrel, and, and I think we did did a good job of kind of capturing that, you know, that bright, happy, lifted aromatic, but uh, still with some some body and some mouthfeel. And how many whites texture. do you make? Just the one. Yeah, just the one. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have only one white skew, huh? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend. You know, I, I spend most of my time on the reds, and it's fun to fun to have a white. Um, we enjoy drinking it, but uh, I don't want to get in the in the 
business of making you know five or six different whites or four different whites. If I found something really special that I thought should be isolated, I would probably do it, but not just for the sake of making another white or having another skew, you know? Yeah, no, I have a f- other friends that I like, like you, really popular with the reds. Just do one white, and it, it's like everything they need. You know what yeah, I mean? Totally. Oh, like cheers, my man. Fun. Yeah, cheers. This is it. Look at this. It's been long too long. This I is great. Know. It's great to see you, man. Oh, my gosh. We are in the uh, Turtle Rock. This is the tasting room. Yep. Here in Tin City. Tin City. You know, I was just thinking because the last episode or so, we were talking about how Tin City has its first Michelin star restaurant. Right. I think Tin City, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first 100-point wine uh, out of Tin City. I think you are correct. I can't think of another one. I, I racked my whole brain up the hill trying no, to get here. No, 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 yeah. I think That's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Yeah, Tin City has really come along. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a great... It's a great spot, and it's just so dynamic. You know, you can you can find anything you want. You know, from if whatever price point to whatever quality. Um, it's kind of got all the different levels. You know, and you know, and, and of course the pasta and the ice cream and the beer and the cider and the wine and yeah. the booze. And it's the, got its own you vibe. Know. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, and we're, uh, we're going to talk about how you've really uh, you know contributed to that vibe not only with having a high-end upper echelon winery here but that's still very approachable and everyone here is super cool but the wine's just like i mean they just deliver we're going to talk about how you've had a really really awesome uh, summer and fall because of 100 point wine but the the area just has a really approachable and fun vibe to it yeah i agree you know, like- i agree it's uh it is. It's fun. It's yeah. fun, and everybody here is is working. You know, so it's not like uh, there's no pretense. You know, right. everybody's uh, kind of in it together, helping each other out. Is it weird know? that you can go to one of your other businesses that you are a partner in, like 150 yards away, <laughs> and there's probably somebody <laughs> pouring a shot down somebody's mouth or something like? <laughs> it's a little odd. It's, it's a, a little, little weird. Odd. You know, like yeah. Tin City is it's just such a, its, its own. And then you walk another 150 yards, and you're on this lawn drinking. Drinking uh, a great beer. Or yeah. Listening to live music. Right. And, uh, or or getting a great burger. Or you know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's amazing. You know, we and then you got Hubba down in the corner now too, and she's uh-huh. got a great little outdoor venue there. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the cool part is, I think. All in all, the wineries here, like, there's a really, really high level of winemaking going on here, you know. It's just it's just so convenient for someone to not have to come up with the overhead to build your own winery. Like, it's just, it's so impossible to get involved in that business from a from the average person standpoint, from yeah. a money perspective. Um, so, this kind of just gives you a, a platform, a place to where you can make wine and, and sell it. It's interesting because the Central Coast has really shown that ability for that winemaker. I don't know if it's like the newer guard or just the way things evolve, but like the winemaker who maybe necessarily doesn't have the capital for their own estate and their own vineyards and stuff, but that has such great acumen. They've built such great relationships. They can get such good fruit that they can have a brand on its own. I mean, you'll be in Tin City and taste Bien Decido fruit. Oh, for sure. Or, I mean, we're going to talk about G2 or James Berry or, I mean, some of the more coveted Paso vineyards, and and they can get their hands on them. I remember uh, talking to Russell Fromm. You oh, know, it's a great example. A decade ago, yeah. you know, and uh, he was the first person I looked at and went, you know, you really can do it without having your own estate. He, you know, he's since bought land and he has he has some estate fruit now. But I remember looking at him and just going, okay, this this is doable. You know, he makes great wines. He's got a great following, and he's done it with least acreage. You know? Yeah. So it is, but it is. It's uh, it's hard when you start out because nobody knows who you are. 
And, of course, you want great fruit to make great wine, but you can't get the great fruit unless you have a great reputation. So it's kind of like how do you... How do you jump in the game and, and get the good fruit? And it's just kind of a grind in the beginning, and you gotta uh, get a little bit lucky and, and make some good wines. And then you know, if then you get some good scores or some notoriety, and, and people get to know you, then you maybe have a little a opening somewhere. And, and, and what sucks, like good music, there could be a band or an indie name that you like on Spotify uh-huh. that maybe doesn't play for twenty, thirty thousand people, but you, I mean, they're talented, they're good. Right. Just like there are winemakers who. I'm sure you and I have friends that we could rattle off some great wines that are sure. being made, but they maybe haven't kind of hit, whether it's the luck of uh, the, the strut, maybe we don't call it luck, but the good fortune of good press or a good word yeah. of mouth or a good pedigree, you know? I could see that, yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely, you know, like anything, though, you know, I look at like pro golfers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many are so good, but will never make the tour? Or, yeah. Um, and I think, too, with, with winemaking, a lot of people don't understand that there's a, there's a huge business aspect to it, too. It's not just the wine making you know it's a whole it's a whole life you know and you have to really be all in on it can you be successful at having a wine brand if you're not that good at business would you have to bring someone in like if you have someone like my wife you can yeah (laughs) do you not consider yourself because i would imagine Uh, if i had my own business like that i would definitely need to bring in probably lean on my partner or lean on someone because i yeah i I don't feel those are talents that i have been given i think i i don't know if i have other talents yeah i can lead in other ways but i I don't think think those are my talents definitely lie in the uh idea uh dreamer winemaking artist uh, direction, and uh, she makes sure we make money. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to Claudia. Yeah, without her, we would be. I'd be done in the water, probably. So when you find out about this 100-point wine, uh-huh. and this is big news for both of you, not just because you made the wine, but this is your and Claudia's baby, Turtle Yeah, Rock. for sure. Um, it was, you know, of course, released during harvest, as his scores usually come out, so I was uh, on a sorting table sorting fruit and I got a message from uh, I think one of our buyers I can't remember exactly who at the time at the moment but uh, they said oh congratulations I didn't you know so I didn't even know what was going on and then and then I got like another 20 texts in the next 20 minutes really something must have happened yeah so I washed my hands off and looked at my phone and someone sent me a a copy of the you know the the top scores from from Jeb from the from that day, and uh, yeah. that interesting because I would have I would have thought you would have known like a week ago via email, like oh these will come out next week, but it's no. not like that. I all mean, the he time. knows when. I mean, he he lets you know when he's releasing the scores, but he doesn't give you any indication of what your scores will be. Um, but I, you know, we're just so busy that time of year, I'm not sure. paying attention to when it comes out. You know, I was I was I think we harvested like 20 tons of fruit that day or something crazy. And, so yeah. when you get that news, what goes through your bones? I don't know. It was, uh, I mean, it, was, it felt good. Yeah, obviously, it feels like an accomplishment, but uh, you also, I don't know. It's, uh, I kind of believed in my wines for a long time, so it wasn't like. Uh, You're like, finally, and, yeah, got a like, bunch finally, of 99s. You know, I had a, quite a few 99s. <laughs> it's nice to get that one extra, but uh, it, it really is a nice, it's accomplishment, and, and really the cool thing to, was to see us up next to La Ventura and Saxon. Um, that's you know that's rare air in my opinion. I think they're probably my two, uh, the two people I look up to the most in this area from a winemaking and for what they've done for the area. Uh, so just to be in the same conversation with them is really as as important to me as the as the the point score itself. And I like that because obviously, like you said, you have a lot of respect for both of those gentlemen, Stefanoseo, uh, Justin Smith. We'll talk about that you know unavoidable connection and brotherhood that you have with Justin uh, in a bit, but. 
so to be in that air with them, it feels good because they're you respect them both, but also like you said, just to be mentioned with those. I mean, that's it. To some extent, it shows like yes, you've believed in your wines, but like people are believing in my wines. This person believed in my yeah. wines, and there's going to be great ramifications because of this belief in my wines. I, yeah, we've seen definitely some some ramifications already, and in, mm-hmm. in, in a good sense. And uh, we certainly welcome the the press and the, the accolade, and uh, and and really kind of humbled by it too. To be in, you know, with those people, I consider what they do, you know, the, the absolute best in the game, and and uh, would love to think that we're achieving the same status of wines as they are. But you know, it's still, we still kind of it's hard for me to see it that way. You yeah. Know? But I, I'm thrilled that someone tasted our wines and thought that they deserved that that kind of uh, score. It's you know, it's it's. Humbling. When you get a bunch of 99s, what is the uptick? How does the phone change ringing? Um, it rings a little bit. You know, we get a lot more attention from distributors and things like that, but we don't really distribute much of our wine anyway. Right. So um, I think it's just brand awareness little by little. You see maybe a little, uh, you know, the, the appointment schedule in the, in the taste room goes up a little bit. Uh, you get a, maybe a couple wine club signups or allocation list signups. And uh, I don't know, you, you get see a little buzz from other taste rooms and things like that, but you didn't. we didn't see a huge... Um, increase in sales, like something that was extremely measurable. With the 99s. With the 99s. Now you get a 100 point. How does the phone change ringing then? It was very different. Um, it, it, it's not like, I think like 10 years ago, if we had gotten 100 points, we probably would have a waiting list now. We'd probably be closing the tasting room. Um, nowadays, uh, it's not quite like that anymore, but it did move the needle. I mean, we saw uh, dozens of signups in... You know, the course of 48 hours and wow. purchases Like online. wine club signups. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Allocation list signups and, and uh, distributors from everywhere and, you know, uh, just a lot of notoriety and, and, and website hits. And it was it was definitely a, a a measurable increase in sales and, and you know, club signups, yeah. When you and Claudia are just hanging out by yourselves across the table, or maybe laying before you go to sleep in bed, or or maybe in the quiet of just you being in the car by yourself, do you reflect on these and go like, "Oh shit, we did, we did it!" Like, damn, yeah. that, you know? Yeah, little we did. moments we, with yourself we had a, with Claudia. Uh, we had a pretty good champagne moment, and like we did it. And um, what'd you open up? Uh, it was a Billicart salmon. Yeah, we like the Billy. Uh-huh, um, nice. And, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I celebrated for a night, and then uh, first thing I think about it was my next one. I was going to ask know. you that. Like, yeah. What, so, and then do you have an idea what it's going to be? Like, do you go, man, this this was the Syrah. This was the G2 Syrah. Correct. That got it, the 100%, 100% Syrah. Yes. That got a 100 points. Is it like, oh, maybe the blend? Or, like, what, when, you, when you think of your next one, what swirls around upstairs? Uh, I, I think that... It's just the wines that I currently make, um, and I just get better at making them every year, or the fruit gets better. I mean, 19 was just a spectacular I'm vintage. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's the greatest vintage I've seen here. Wow. Um, over 07, even. Over 07, yeah, I think. Um, and I even told Claudia, you know, when I was done getting ready, put everything in a tank to bottle, I came home, and I was like, I really, really like the wines this year. And she's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you don't ever like the wines. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, should I be scared that you actually like the wines? And I'm like, I don't know. I think they're pretty good. And, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty odd for me to be happy with my wines. I'm just super hypercritical. And um, yeah, it's just a, just a great vintage. And I actually had been telling people that that G2 point was a hundred point wine, regardless of what anybody said. And, really? Uh, before it got scored. 
So uh, I was really happy when it came in, and, and I wasn't a liar. I interviewed, not at all. Yeah, no, you kept you honest. We uh, had on this podcast Stanley and Elena from Top, uh-huh. and while I was over there, I was chatting with Elena on the air, and Bill from G2 came by sure. to talk vineyards with Stanley. Like They catch up, as I'm sure you do with him once a year, so yeah, kind of get where you're going to go and stuff. And uh, he actually jumped on the podcast with us, and it was really interesting to hear Bill. I really enjoyed his company, and yeah. he, you know, because he did really well. I mean, his wines are coming out notoriously really, really, and getting some great scores because of his farming. They are, yeah. And, uh, you know, he had a little help, a little history with Justin Smith. Yeah. And, uh, you know, definitely helped him identify that property as something that had potential and uh, has really jumped into the farming with both feet and, and willing to listen and learn and willing to do what it takes to, to, to make good fruit and uh, you know he's, it's it's nice to have someone who cares about a vineyard that much and you can tell the difference when the fruit comes in you know it's can you oh yeah it's you know we won't we won't name vineyards that aren't on that top tier list but you know when you see fruit from other places it's like it doesn't look the same it's, yeah it's, isn't that interesting you know, it's just not as clean it's there's more leaves you can just tell the care that goes into the farming and, uh, some people still got some grapes uh, on the vines what do you think this rain one to three inches recently probably just what dusted them off a little yeah, bit I think it'll be alright yeah, yeah right. I mean I don't think it's enough to, to damage anything I mean I got a little bit of stuff out there still but well we got most everything in yeah so when you're celebrating you're working a little bit of saxon's crush too as you're doing your own they're they're all the time yeah right so recently i saw on instagram they uh posted some like of their 100 point wines yeah but this um, even other friends of theirs 100 point wines where you had them all lined up right what was that uh i think that was just lunch that was yeah (laughs) was yeah sounds like a friday lunch yeah (laughs) so i mean you know obviously no stranger to that 100 point dynamic but when justin talked to you about this and in your first 100 point wine what were those conversations like uh it was a pretty we you know we're we don't talk about wine a whole lot other than the making of it and uh, we've been friends for so long we just kind of have a uh uh, understanding, I guess, and but we yeah, we high fived and and uh, he said congratulations and I was congratulating him because he got two hundred points, you know, one off the same vineyard. Um, and I just I, you know, I thought it was cool that of the five hundred point scores out there, three of them were made at the Saxon Cave. You know? Yeah, that's so true. Two were his, one were me, but I was wine that I make there as well. So yeah, it was like right under this roof was where three of the five hundred point scores came from this year. So and the other two are what Stefan, both Stefan, yeah, Aventure. So, I mean, talk about that rarefied air. That's got to feel so cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for it. Kind of like we, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, pressure's lifted off your shoulders. You know? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't wrong. This was but, a good idea. And, and not to, <laughs> yeah, not to invert this, but do you almost feel like another pressure? Like, is it a new pressure? Almost yeah. like when a, a musician has a number one hit song. It's, I, I think so, for sure. I, I definitely, but I think it's a good pressure. Like, yeah. I, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's it's kind of like pressure, but with a little bit more belief in yourself. What a, what were the thoughts on the 100 point coming from a single varietal versus, you know, one of your blends? Um it has a little bit of Grenache in it. Uh-huh. Um and I I mean we co-ferment everything. Sure. So, but yeah, I don't I don't I I think it's interesting that it uh that it was that wine just because I don't think Syrahs Pure Syrahs rarely score that high in this yeah. area. I think that's maybe the second 100-point Syrah ever out of the area. It's one of those wines that obviously resilient in the vineyard and the cellar. Paso has loved it for a long, long time. But you have people have griped and stuff like, hey, we doesn't sell that well. This could really help Paso sell some Syrah. I, I yeah, I mean, right now, honestly, I can't f- like I can't find enough good Syrah grapes. Like it used to be that. 
everybody said, oh, don't, you know, Syrah's going to die and this and that. And, and everybody planted Grenache. And, and I love Grenache. Sure. But I can go out and find top-tier Grenache right now. I can't go out and find any more Syrah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You think you're going to see a, a different interest in maybe planting some more top-tier Syrah? Because- I, think, I would think so. I think that, right, you know, kind of the market always tells you what, you know, like right now, if you had Syrah in your vineyard to sell, you wouldn't have any trouble selling it. Yeah, There's right. There's people that are asking for Grenache you know, sales, like they're, they're pushing Grenache. It's so interesting because some of my favorite winemakers who are so good at the blends, I think of you, I think of like um, Epic mm-hmm. and some of these other ones that are just so good with their red blends. My favorite stuff out of their catalog ends up being that straight Syrah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, it's so yeah. interesting. But I think, it's, I think it does really well here, you know. And uh, and I don't know. I like, I almost kind of like a little Syrah and everything. Are you know? blending the Syrahs with other Syrahs? Are we got some early picks, mid picks, late picks, different barrels? For that particular Syrah, that G2, it's a singular block on that vineyard. Um, south facing, no soil, ton and a half an acre. You know, we only make like 220 cases. So it's a very small. I mean, it was awesome to get a great score. Unfortunately, it was on a wine that's already sold out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it did help. Uh, it did help sales, but uh, it, it's a wine that's you know pretty much directly for wine club as already anyway. What do you do when you go back to the drawing board? with Claudia and go, does this affect pricing? Do we increase a little bit? I mean, is this supply and demand? Do we make it a little bit, you know, how yeah. do you, how do you, yeah. how do you feel we're those? Pretty, um, we're pretty clear on how we do our pricing and it's truly based on the cost of production. So we had a price increase this year, but that price increase took place before the scoring. Yeah. And it was based on farming costs, bottling costs, uh, our, our just production costs went up. So we felt the need to raise our prices to, to stay in business and we're starting to look for a property now and you know hopefully have our own estate next couple of years really yeah like you want to your own tasting room or like or uh, vineyards? our own vineyard yeah wow where do you want to put them or oh, get it's got to be in Willow Creek District somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. You know, I want to move back out there and, and uh, get back at it. Are you constantly looking for properties and stuff, or do you got your we eye on something? We just kind of started actively looking, not not you know, super actively. We're not in a huge hurry to go into that much debt, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we are. We're we're thinking about it and looking around. And if the that, right piece comes up, we'll we'll be ready. Isn't that interesting? That although we've talked about that newer dynamic of um, seeking out the relationships and and just making wine from places that you have you know you can get solid fruit from uh i mean shoot look at even like someone like adam lee i mean he was able to you know cash out for a bunch to jackson family with the saduri brand totally not an acre under his own name yeah um but there is still that dream inside so many people. I know Mike Siner, you yeah. know, right? Oh, for sure. Who his dream, and he, another one, was for decades getting such great fruit, uh, but then wants to have his own land. Yeah. And, and that is still a, a very romantic thought for a lot it of is. folks like you. And I think it's a, it's a passion decision, too. It's not like a finance, it's not a great financial decision in our, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but I feel like, too, it's, it's, Kind of coming full circle with the business and the and the and and the property that I grew up on was out there in Willow Creek, and I yeah. kind of just feel like it would be the completion of the journey, and uh, would love to have something too that I could physically hand off to my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, if she has any desire to get in the business, but to be you know to have a, a place to be able to give her or a winery to give her that's got a physical uh, something about it just. Yeah, it's, it's, it's passion and romance, you know. It's uh, it's not necessarily the, the brightest decision, but... Uh, and she's getting bigger now. I remember, like, when we first started interviewing, yeah. she was just a little gal. She's bigger than Claudia now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got, like a, you got a little person now. This is crazy. I do, I do. Do you she, see uh, interest? She knows how to drive a forklift yeah. at 13. That's so cool. <laughs> 
That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. She can do a punch down and a pump over. So you are seeing interest a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Or is it just like, I mean, hey, if let's... there was a winemaking video game, she'd be all over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I can do this and we stream on VR? Twitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. Can I do a VR punch down? Right, yeah. <laughs> Talking about you joking about technology, you are really pushing Turtle Rock in a lot of uh, progressive ways as far as technology, NFTs, things like that. I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to get into your come up, where wine took you. Uh, where did you first start? Where did you get first bit by wine? Um, Southern California, right? Where is, are you from Southern no, California? I'm from here. You're from here. Yeah, well, I, I moved here when I was uh, 13. Okay. So high school, college, went to Mission Prep and Slow, and then but oh, lived wow. in, grew up in Templeton. Okay. Um, and then went to Cal Poly with uh, Justin and Matt Travis, and they were both there at the same time. Were you part of that I was the Blue not, House? Uh, no, Did you ever I was go to the Blue, the Blue House? House? I visited the Blue House many times. But, Do you know, uh, I don't want to say the, the intersection because we mentioned it on another episode, I think the one with Justin. Yeah. But I live right near the Blue House. Oh, no kidding. That's where I live now. Okay. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I was at that house many times. Yeah, so this has been when like, Justin on Smith, lots of couches. Matt Travis, <laughs> and you know, Donnie Burns were all in at Cal Poly, yep. you guys were drinking some of maybe what Justin's dad's wines. Yeah, in and, the and back I think in the Justin garage. made some meat or something back then. And uh, but we really weren't into you know, we were like other college kids. We were into beer, and, yeah, and whatever else. Um, we weren't really big into wine. Uh, I didn't really know I wanted to get into wine. Um, I mean, we worked in vineyards in the summers, you know, because you know Justin's parents had a vineyard. I grew up right next door. Uh, my uncle was a winemaker, so yeah, he was at Peachy Canyon for a while. Justin for a while. While uh, ended up working for. Uh, Diageo making you know a lot of wine, and so I was around it, but never occurred to me that it would be a business for me or a, or a career for me. Um, put myself through school in the restaurant business, and then did some traveling after school, and ended up in Florida broke after traveling and needed to get a job, so started working for Roos Chris Steakhouse out there, and went through the SOM program with them, and just kind of started getting interested from that, from the retail side, from the restaurant side, and then I'd come home every year and help Justin out with Harvest for a couple of days, you know. Um, and I was like, man, this is, uh, this is interesting. This is fun. This is, but I could never really figure out how to make sense of it. Like, well, how could I do that? Or it's impossible or, you know, it's just a dream. Um, and then, uh, kept doing it. And, and finally, was there ever the thought then that Paso could hear your song, you're tasting fine wines. Yeah. You're going to table side serving fine wines. Was the thought that early? Was there even the thought among some? Yeah. Cause at this point, you know, Saxon had been around, like he was probably, it's like 2009, you know, or no, 2000, probably closer to, oh, sorry, 2004, yeah. 2005. And, uh, you know, and I was, I was hearing about the wines on the East Coast when I was doing my buying and my research and my SOM stuff and my, my other buddies at restaurants were asking about it. So, I mean, we knew the wine was coming up and it was getting better. And after getting here and seeing how he was making wine and the, the, the attention to detail in the vineyard, you know, I knew it was, a, it was an up-and-coming thing to, to say that we saw the future the way it was going to pan out. I don't, I don't know if that would be true, but uh, it still seemed impossible to me personally. I didn't, I didn't have any way to figure out how to. But we eventually got married... My wife had, we had our daughter, and uh, I was like, I want to raise her in Paso. So we just picked up, sold everything, left, and uh, got a restaurant job and started Turtle Rock and just said, we're just going to do it. And uh, it was a long process. That was 2010, and I think we made like two barrels, and we made three barrels. Where were we getting the fruit from? Uh, I got a little bit of James Berry, like my second year, and then uh, my uncle still had a property on Willow Creek Road, 
uh, where we got a little bit of Zinfandel that we started. How much did that help, those connections with the Uncle Zin and obviously with the JBV stuff? Uh, it was huge. Yeah, obviously. It, uh, for, uber fortunate to, to be able to work with Justin. I'd called him before I moved out and said, hey, you know, if I come out there, will you teach me how to make wine? Or so you can come by and learn anything you want, but I, I can't pay you and, you know. I was like, that's fine. So I was I was waiting tables at McPhee's Grill and uh, working harvest there. And I'd show up every day. And I think about two years later, he looked at me and said, look, if you're not going to leave, <laughs> I got to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, I can quit my restaurant job. <laughs> not that I didn't like McPhee's. It's just, no, sure. I was just working crazy hours. You're just grinding. And, yeah. I mean, I would I would get to, you know, go, go to the vineyard at, at 5.36 in the morning. Harvest all day, go change in the parking lot at McPhee's, wait tables till 10.30 at night, go home, pass out, get up, do it again, you know, doing that five days a week. But, yeah. but the amount of, you know, information and knowledge that I learned by hanging out there and, and actually turn into a job even. Um, but that's where I met growers and that's where I met uh, picking up his fruit or talking to people and then saying, oh, you know, Don's got a label and... Um, you know, I started long enough ago, I think, that there wasn't as much of a pinch on fruit as there is now. I think I maybe just got in early enough. Um, but certainly the the working at Saxon and my relationship with Justin helped get in the door at some of these vineyards for sure. Yeah, it's cool. But how are you in your friendship and relationship with Justin always, you know, riding that wave, which he obviously was lovingly and generously enough, you know, helping, you know, set up for you, but also being like, hey, I'm not stepping on toes. I'm making sure I'm not getting any fruit that you were getting before. Like, did you have to like walk a line in a way? Um, yeah, but I, I guess so, but we've never really noticed. I think it just ha- it comes so naturally to us. You know, I, I, mutual he has respect. No, I have no desire to, to ride his coattails, and he has no desire for me to not succeed. So yeah, we're, right. we're both rooting for each other constantly. So yeah. there's really no, uh, we're just super excited about what we do and That's super so cool. excited about that we get to do it for a living you know it's when your wine was beginning to get some popularity and you were really taking some of the things that you learned from this person that person justin whoever mm-hmm. what were you thinking and how you wanted turtle rock to be distinct from from the saxon stuff or from you know, anything, I, anyone else you're learning from yeah it. it's interesting because i uh i've i've often thought about that that's kind of a question that comes up is what do you what's what differentiates you and uh, i mean when you to me when you taste the wines they're notably different mm-hmm. like our styles are different and it's not something that i consciously did it's just something that kind of developed over time it, it's just, it's a weird wine's a weird thing um i think it's First and foremost, it's all about the quality of the fruit. And that when you, I learned that from Justin, you know, and I don't think that's something that you ever, ever uh, change or, or, or go away from. It's, it's always going to be quality of the fruit first. And we do so little in the winery anyway that our techniques are pretty similar. You know, there's a certain, when you learn how to do it from what you consider to be the best, there's not a whole lot of reason to change a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so I think where we differ is just in the, the types of blends that we want to make, uh, the, the vineyards that we use. And even though we do share a lot of vineyards, um, we have different blocks, different aspects, different, different varietals. Um, so we're not like picking the same fruit off the same block, you know? Um, and yeah, and he just, his style is just a little bit different and it's just something that develops over time. And like I can, I can tell his wines when I taste them blind. Can you? you? Know, I'm, he can tell my wines, I'm sure. Uh, they're just, but they're they're great in their own respect, and they're and they're. You know, if you I, had ten different wines up here, and it was like you know some local, maybe like Sinequinon or something, like that, could you pick out Saxon wine in there? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean it would depend on yeah. Could you pick out yours? Probably. 
I'm not positive, but so interesting. I'm, I'm pretty pretty sure. I mean, those are the two wines I'd be best at, though, obviously. Is it just because you taste, taste them, them so, so much? Many times. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I just think there's James Berry Vineyard, too, especially to me, is just like the, the mecca of vineyards. And to me, that fruit just smells so distinct and different. And that Grenache is just so so amazing that I, I can smell it from a mile away. Is it the greatest vineyard site in Paso Robles? Oh, hands down. I, like, uh, to me, there's no question. I would even put it as one of the greatest vineyard sites in California. Like, it's that. To me, it's that perfect. Is it the, um, what is it about it? Obviously, the farming, and we can talk the about that in a second, sure, but, but what the, is the it about The location, obviously, but I think that, for me, what makes it so special is the the level of, of ripeness that you're able to achieve while maintaining acidity. Um, it's just you can achieve these crazy, crazy levels of, of ripeness where you can let the tannins soften. The fruit is tasting just beautifully. The tannins are, are there. The acids are right where you want them to be. You know, it's, it's really hard to, in other places, to get fruit that ripe and not have blown out acid or you know have an acid drop out and then you got to add tartaric acid in the ferment here you can pick it 27 20 to seven and a half bricks and still have a 3.5 ph like textbook in our in our book you know yeah. not, not for everybody but sure. for me that's kind of textbook and uh to me that's when the flavors really and the aromatics are really really singing and uh you don't have to manipulate it you just let it go you must be i, I look at like the, the date of the calendar right now and the fact that i'm sitting across from you i mean from what you're doing on the crush pad with the saxon wines your sister winemaker over there you are managing your own winemaking with the turtle rock wines and like you making all those wines thankfully you're doing them under the same cave yeah, right fortunately yeah because there's only to let me do most of that there yeah. there's only one of you um what, what has this harvest been like for you? Uh, it's been pretty pretty good. Uh, a little a little busy. We had a couple. It was interesting. It kind of started slow. It was a little bit late. Um, but then it picked up pretty quickly. It kind of squeezed into like a like a two to three week period. So it was pretty busy for two, which is coming off that. Um, so it was a little hectic. But Were yields a little lighter? Yields are definitely down. I'd say 10, 15%, something like that. Quality's still. <clears throat> Quality's pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, 19. We really liked about a year in barrel. Like when we picked 19, we weren't like super ecstatic about it. Um, 18, we thought was just phenomenal. Like right off the vine, it was it just jumped out at you. The color, the aromatics, the tannins, the structure, and then it kind of it's still a great vintage, but it was just it stayed kind of tight and kind of tannic and super structured. Um, whereas 19, we kind of were like, eh, you know, the colors all right, the tannins are all right, the everything was good but it was just pretty ho-hum we thought and then like a year later we tasted it and we went holy shit this vintage is amazing right um so we i don't know it so far for 21 we're like okay it looks good but uh you know i try to reserve judgment until i see it in barrel for a little while (laughs) everybody (laughs) talks so good about the 19s though yeah people are super excited the the assets were incredible the uh you know and the picking time too was pretty elongated there was no hey it's going to rain six inches like it did yesterday and and we got to get everything off the vine you could kind of pick when you wanted you could you know let it hang another couple days you could kind of achieve exactly the ripeness what you're looking for whatever whatever your preference is you know it's nice to have that ability yeah so what are the wines we have here we started with this white yeah this was so good the willow white it's um almost a half it's almost half grenache blanc yeah we got russon vo even some peak pool 
Yeah. That delivers the acid, huh? Yeah, that does. It brings a little 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 pop of acid to oh, it for it's sure. Such a good blend. And this is the only white that we do. Yep. We talked about that at the very beginning as we came into the broadcast. And then we got four different reds here. What are sure. the reds you brought out? Uh, we've got the Plum Orchard, which is the name of the vineyard, and it is a decomposed sandstone vineyard. Uh, the only one that I source from that is sandstone, and that's Grenache based, a little bit of Morvedra. Uh, then we have uh, Westberg Red, which is our Zinfandel Tempranillo. So you're one of the last ones that still mess with Zin. I love it. I do. I because do. some people, they'll, they'll get into their, their own yeah. blends. They'll get into their blends, and then Zin kind of goes by the wayside. But you love the Zin still. Well, it was, and so Westberg is my, my uncle's last name. Uh, Tom Westberg. He was, he was the last time, but there was a winemaker at Peachy Canyon for a lot of years with Doug. And uh, the property I grew up on was his, and it had a little Zinfandel there, and he loved to make Zinfandel, so we kind of make this as an homage to him. That's cool. Um, and I've never been a huge fan of of Paso Zin. Um, I think some of them can be a little bit over the top, a uh-huh. bit jammy. I think they're great wines, just not for me personally. Sure. So I wanted to make something, but I wanted to make something that I felt fit with our style of wine. So we picked the Zin pretty early, where there's acid is still pretty high like i don't think it would make a great standalone wine but i like the flavors once you get the fresh red fruit no jammy no cooked fruit flavors um and then we blend in tempranillo which i tend to like when it's got like a 4.0 ph so it's like got no acid and then we co-ferment them together and then we get the ph we're looking for and we get kind of this what i think is just a beautiful red wine i don't even like call it zen i just call it a red wine because it's, yeah. it's uh, got a little petite syrah in there as well cool for some structure what a fun um, blend so yeah we've we've actually converted a lot of non-zen drinkers to this wine is that right yeah that's I, pretty I just cool don't tell them it's zen and then they say oh i love that wine but i don't like zen and i was like well you yeah do now. <laughs> well it's funny because like you said i mean people really know that zen was my gateway right. into because obviously the high abv it's 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 super approachable. Totally. Uh, that red fruit. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a lot of them still have a lot of sugar in them. <laughs> exactly. But as I kind of, you know, learned more about, you know, what I was really into, um, I started to learn where I like Zin from to learn about Zin and then really start to learn about different places that it can it can do well. It was a really fun way to learn about Zin. But then it's like with Paso, we grow, you know, 40, 50 things to world-class levels. Totally. There's so many other ones it's, to get it's into. It's so hard, yeah. And, and yeah. I, think, I think that was one of my issues with Zin is I'd, see, I'd had Zins that were grown on large production scales and made on large production scales. I didn't, I hadn't really tasted any of the ones that people were doing that were properly grown in the right spot and uh pretty pretty happy with it yeah how many wines do you make now uh we have six reds and white and a rosé okay we were talking a little bit about technology before sure and one thing that i see two of these bottles have and i see the next bottle is the g2 that's the 100 pointer right there that is yeah oh damn <laughs> we're gonna drink on the 100 po- oh yeah, my God. we're gonna get in on that i can't even believe it um i haven't even ever tasted it i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Sell every bottle. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, these QR codes on yeah. the back of the Westberg and on the back of the Plum Orchard. You were saying before we jumped on the air, these QR codes are actually not just a, a zap to take you to a website. These are actually individual QR codes for each bottle of wine. Yeah, so each one represents, they're, they're all unique to the, the individual bottles. So it will actually take you to a page that tells you how many cases were produced, what bottle number it is, who the owner is, where it's stored if you like, if you if you need all that information. 
Right now it's on a, on a demo mode, I believe. Yeah. That's so cool. Hopefully it's working. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I, I just want to kind of, so yeah, I mean, it clicked and it's going right there through the, through the phone. That's and, a, it's, it's, and it's actually attached to an NFT, which is you know, odd to most people, but uh, a non-fungible token. Yeah. Which uh, really is just a, another way to collect metadata and uh, tell you everything you need to know about the wine. And in the long term, prove provenance. You know, when you're buying a bottle of wine on the secondary market, being able to tell where it's been, how many owners it's had, how many times it was shipped across the U.S. Is it stable? Is it not stable? You know, I think that's really valuable. So that's what, so, well, does that have to get like re-registered every time it changes hands? Or? Well, theoretically, if it's, if it's done on the blockchain, it's all accessible through that QR code. So you'll know its whole history. That's a trip. I mean, that's so the, literally that's this bottle of wine is an NFT? Well, there'll be, there'll be an NFT of that bottle. So explain yeah. this to me. And I hope I'm not the only person that is still just wrapping <laughs> no, the head around about crypto and NFT. It's a crazy concept, yeah. I mean, and, and the idea is that what well, we call it a digital twin. So a lot of the NFTs currently are... JPEGs, basically. Yeah. Um, what you don't see is the it's smart, a picture. It's a picture, but it's got a smart contract attached to it. Um, one of the fun things about NFTs and the smart contracts is, as a winemaker, um, I've never been able to participate in the secondary market. So if I sell you that bottle, it gets 100 points, and then you go on and sell that bottle for double that. Um, you collect all the profits. If we're selling this on our rare liquid platform, and then you sell it for double, that contract already automatically kicks me back a royalty. So when you're paying an ETH, it automatically gives a royalty back to the original artist. So that's for music, that's for paintings, that's for everything. Um, so really it's a way to take the middlemen out and give the people who actually produce the goods more money in their pocket. So okay, so the NFTs, we've heard more of these of late. Yeah. Are you are you kind of personally into these? Like, have you? I have been in the last year just to kind of play with them to see what they're all about. And, and have uh, you? Have you? What have you noticed? Have you made some money? I made some money. Yeah. Really? Um, some pretty good money. Yeah. And I, I don't do it like professionally. I mean, it's not you know going to take over my life. But I have some friends who've made like crazy amounts of money over a hundred thousand like millions really yeah <laughs> and they're buying a digital version of digital versions of i mean they just sold one uh you know like probably the most widely known one right now is called the board ap yacht club and it's pictures of apes and uh, one just sold at a christie's auction for 2.4 million dollars a jpeg <laughs> a jpeg well, what, well, what with a, a smart contract <laughs> but what am i missing what am I missing? So um, only one person can own that. It's kind of like a digital people- country club. Okay. So like it's, they're only one of a kind. So each ape is individual. It's got rare traits, individually individual traits. Um, the picture of like the ape. The picture of the ape. The picture of the ape is only one of a kind. But, but is it, it also has a contract, and so that allows you that's to That's what makes it one of a kind. That one is one of a kind. There's, there's 10,000 of them total, okay. and no two are alike. Okay. Um, but it's also your entry into their platform. So uh, they're having a big NFT conference in New York City right now. Uh, you can only go to certain meetings and, and things if you're a board ape holder. So it's almost like a pass to a country club, right? It's just a digital. And do you club. have one of these ape ones? I do, yeah. You do? I have an ape, yeah. What, can I ask what you bought it for? Uh, I think I, I traded wine for it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So somebody else had it? Somebody else had it. He owns, It's a friend of mine. He owns 40 of them. 40 of the apes. Yeah. And you said, hey, I'll give you X amount of cases of wine. Yeah. And, and, and you it wasn't give me- worth it. I think at the time it was probably worth about. A thousand dollars, 
Okay. So, and then so you, I give him $1,000 worth of wine. And then he signs over this. Just sends it to you on the digital wallet. Just flips it over to you. And so you open up now your digital wallet. That yep. what, Does this have your like your Bitcoin and your Doge coins and all this? Yeah, I don't do any Doge coin. Okay. Mostly Ethereum. Phone. Okay, so you okay. So your, your digital wallet, you see, yeah. okay, now I just got sent. Now I got an ape. I got an ape. Yep. And now everyone who knows all, where all these 10,000 apes are, they know one of them is Don Burns. Yes. Well, they don't know me as Don Burns because everything's – that's the other part So you're like a giant number? Whatever you want your name to be. And there's no – you don't, and nobody knows who you are. So there's a lot of anonymity, which is nice. What's your name? You I'm can't not going to tell you. <laughs> you want to tell, tell me your crypto I'm wallet kidding. name? It's, it's Tipsy Turtle. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you see this, and now can I even ask you, have you – is there a market for this? Can I check, like, what did the market close at today with apes? Oh, yeah. Like, you can look it up at any time. Like, it'll, it'll give you a real-time – and how do they gauge its worth? Um, whatever they're trading for in current dollars. Like okay. They they are sold constantly on online. This is fascinating. Is, let me ask you, is it while you're looking for that, is it too late to get into NFTs? No, it's still so early. Really? So early, yeah. What can you do it with? Can you do it with like, um, a, do you need like a thousand bucks, 500 bucks? I would say a thousand bucks is probably a good place to start. 500 can get a little tight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be able to... How do you choose what to buy for an NFT? You just... You know what? They do what they call minting. Yeah. So when they first come up with a new NFT project, they release... Oh, my God. Is that... Around. That's your ape? Or is that uh, your whole wallet? That's my wallet, but that's my ape there. Oh, my gosh. Can I read that amount? <laughs> yeah. That amount below the ape? Yeah. 147000 $34.76. And that's probably a little low. I could probably get more than that for it. Really? Yeah, that's the cheapest ape that was sold. So th- I'm looking at a JPEG, and I can't even believe this. This is incredible. <laughs> and I'm looking at, damn, you're balling in your Ethereum. <laughs> you're making it rain Ethereum. Well, so when you, when you first I got, got into, lucky a couple times. You know? When you first got into crypto, what would you put into it? About 1500 bucks. Wow, into that? Yeah. Wow. I, got, I miss. Uh, and it, let's say, if you really wanted to cash out that ape right now, I could sell for that right now, and have one hundred forty-seven thousand dollars in your in Ethereum in my account. Yeah. In your and then yeah. cash that out to yeah, what? It's not, in your it's, bank, it's, it's easy to convert Ethereum back to dollars these days. It's not. Yeah, yeah. There's no. It's. it's I think the days of worrying about if Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to crash completely are pretty gone. You know, they're pretty accepted. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can buy if, a Tesla. You can, right. you know, there's, yeah. there's cards that will charge in Ethereum and uh-huh. gas stations that take it and coffee this shops. This is and, so uh, interesting. It's interesting, yeah. And I think for us, the, the interesting part is when you when you get used to the NFT technology and the, the permanence of blockchain technology, it seems to us that anything collectible will clearly have an NFT in the next 10 years. Like, it just proves provenance. It just takes all the guesswork. I mean, how many counterfeit bottles are out there? How many Netflix specials do you read about this guy faked this bottle? It's impossible with NFTs. Yeah. Like, it literally takes all the counterfeit nonsense. I mean, they're already doing... Glenn Livid just did one, sold for... You ever wonder if anybody's ever made a counterfeit bottle of Turtle Rock? No, I don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's enough people out to know what it is to counterfeit it. (laughs) Maybe now. (laughs) That's Yeah, right now, after 100 points. (laughs) Well, yeah. So we had the Westberg Red, the Plum Orchard. Both of these are these... um, 
am I saying that right? These are NFT wines. Each one comes uh, with an NFT. Those both will have an NFT attached. Yeah, um, if, if you buy them through our, our what's called our rare liquid platform, it's a separate platform. But the if you just buy them through us or through the tasting room, the QR code will still take you to the metadata on the bottles. It'll mm-hmm. still tell you how many bottles were produced, you know, winemaker bio. Um, yeah, it's cool because I, got, I did it for the Plum Orchard. It's like, oh, yeah, 99 points. <laughs> like, I got everything, like 88% Grenache, yeah, the, the 12% NFT Mataro. will only come with the ones that are purchased in, in Ethereum. This is so cool. That's yeah, super it's neat. It's nice to have the information, you know, and, and be able to track that bottle. And Was it a little bit... Was it a little bit leery to get in, start getting into some of this? Uh, Very, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was the only reason I started buying and selling NFTs was because I was I wanted to know more about it before I attached my brand to it because I yeah. didn't want to be involved in some scheme or some pyramid type. You know, I didn't I didn't know enough about it, so I just kind of dove in head first and realized that the technology is really amazing and it really does help with it helps small artisans, you know, who are getting yeah. getting you know beat by the middleman. Um, and it's just, and it's, and it really helps with provenance. Like there's a really useful, I think a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with these apes and these, like the apes will be great forever because they're one of the first ones. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff coming out now that's just JPEGs that has no utility. It will probably fall on its face and be worth nothing in the near future. Um, but once they can attach utility, like, and this has true utility, you know, this is helping you prove the provenance of bottle. This is trying to make the secondary sales of wine more frictionless. Like, you know, you can't legally sell a bottle of wine to a friend of yours. It's against the law. Right. How is, why is that? Yeah. But you can trade him an NFT for a bottle. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because you're not actually changing money hands. You're just sliding them an NFT, and then they can ship you the bottle. So it's like it can actually... And the other thing we're doing, which is going to be fun, is we're going to tokenize sellers for people. So What does that mean? If you have a seller at home, we will build NFTs for your entire seller, and then you can show off your seller online without people having to come to your house. Because nobody wants anybody to come into their house and check out their seller, but a lot of people have beautiful sellers that they want to show off or peacock a little bit. And, yeah. Um, so we, we you know, are working on someday building an actual wine shop, wine showcase area in uh, virtual reality. It's where you can walk around and look at people's collections and see their NFTs up on their walls. And Now, who kind of tapped you? In, were you already thinking this progressively? Or who kind of shared with you, hey, man, this is tomorrow. I know you know your business, yeah. but I know business in this sense, and this is coming. This was, uh, this was a friend of mine, and he had been involved in... Uh, uh, doing a lot of social media marketing and data collection for large companies and uh, had another buddy who worked at a gaming company and who was big into NFTs and in block, a great blockchain uh, developer. Um, and he came to us with the idea and he was looking for a product that he thought would make sense to have blockchain attached to. Yeah. And my, my other buddy knew me. He's like, this is the perfect product. And I was like, you're crazy. This makes sense. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm not getting involved in this witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started playing with it. And uh, yeah, now we're, we're getting ready to, to launch in a couple of weeks. And, and it's exciting. You know, I, I, where it'll go, I don't know. I think we, it's pretty early still in the grand scheme. But, you know, people like McAllen just sold a, a, a barrel of whiskey with an NFT for $2.4 million. Yeah. Jeez. The previous, I think, the previous high sale for them on a barrel was like five hundred and forty-nine thousand. So, uh, 
DRC just released a case of wine with an NFT at an auction house. So I mean, people are doing it. They're seeing the the, the worthiness of what an NFT can do as far as proving provenance and having you know. Yeah. Real, and once it's in the blockchain, it's not going anywhere. So if you, you are just gonna dip your toes into this, do you recommend just getting yourself into some um, cryptocurrency or getting your first? Yeah, um, I mean, if, NFT. If, depending on your if you if you're interested in investing in cryptocurrency or you're kind of interested in the NFT space, I'd recommend getting like a MetaMask wallet. It's probably the most user-friendly and interfaces best with NFTs. But in anybody doing it, the only thing I would I would suggest is plan on losing the money. Don't like... Don't do it as an investment. Don't do it as a. Don't take money that you need and put it in because it is it yeah. is volatile. There is a risk there. Um, I think it's a pretty low risk, and I think there's a lot of money to be made. But I certainly wouldn't recommend you know taking money that you. you, know, you know, it's 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 definitely a, a volatile market, and and it, but it's fun. It's you know it's. It's interesting for sure. The 2019 Maturin. Am I saying that right? Yeah. James Berry Vineyard. Yeah, James Berry Vineyard. Uh, about a third Graciano. And this was uh, Graciano Goof Graciano? Yeah, this is, about this? Uh, this is the Monastrel Graciano. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> the Graciano. Uh, yeah, Mataro, which is another kind of Morved, right? Yep. That's just the California name for Morvedra. And then Syrah and Grenache. And this is James Berry. Do you have, I mean, obviously the G2 that we're going to taste next is the 100-point wine. That may be the baby and the darling of the moment. But do you look at all these? Are, are there some that are just like, that sing a little bit prettier to you at certain times? Or? Yeah, I think um, different years. I, I prefer different wines. Um, and I prefer them at different times, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, what I'm eating. Um, I think that James Berry is probably the, the dearest to my heart. Mm-hmm. I know that vineyard the best. Uh, you know, I know the guy that owns it the best. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's the, the absolute pinnacle of, of farming in this area. Um, so that one's you know probably the most special, and the G two I'm I'm proud of just because of uh, it's a wine that uh, is not from James Berry Vineyard that is receiving you know high accolades which. I mean, it's so easy to make great wine from James Berry Vineyard because you don't even have to do anything. It's just sure. <laughs> the fruit is right. so good that uh, so it's it's nice to be able to do that. But it's also from your perspective well. is like I know you have this great relationship with Justin, but it must feel also nice to be like yeah. I mean, I know my wines across the board, not just the JBV wines, are are beautiful world class representations of Paso, and it's kind of nice that the G two or something other than a JBV was my first one hundred point wine because and, and, and I'm sure you would have liked it to be the jbv also but totally. <laughs> i mean would you more in a way would uh, I, you more? I think probably uh, i don't know i i'm happy just to get i mean we've gotten 99 on the on the james berry multiple times um and even jeb made i think number five wine in the world yeah you know last year or the year before um so it's had a lot of accolades i mean if i could choose it probably would have been the jbv right you know i would i would want that have been 100 but i think it'll get there one day uh it's just it's is just, that the next one i think so i think it's the natural and then the the clods this year which is our other syrah based wine um was a barrel sample and he rated that 97 to 100 so it's got a shot yeah it's got a shot yeah here it is the g2 it's in the glass when you let me pour a little bit of mm-hmm. your 100 point wine for you sir what a pleasure oh thank you bam how, how often do you taste this wine now not very often um when was the last time you had it Oh, probably a week ago. Yeah. I mean, I, when I swing by the taste room, if I have someone I'm coming to meet or something. Because it's I'll totally taste. sold out. Yeah, I mean, we have some reserve for our members that we just okay. held back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no, you're not, we don't pour in the tasting room. We never have. Um, you can't just come in and buy it. It has to be through through the allocation list. This is, oh man. What is it about, uh, is it the finish? I mean, it's just so pretty. 
Um, I don't know. We, when I try and think of what I would consider a perfect wine, yeah, I'm not saying this one was a perfect wine, but, um, but someone did. Someone did. <laughs> um, I think a, a term that I use quite often is seamless. Mm-hmm. So there's no uh, there's no start, finish, middle. Is kind of all one long experience. Yeah, and yeah, it, uh, and it never builds too fast, and it never goes away too slow. Um, and it's also the balance between uh, richness and bold and, and structure and finesse and brightness. So I think this wine is a, is a great example of what Paso has to offer in that it has these incredibly dark, rich, structured uh, characteristics, but with this incredible aromatic lift and this bright fruit and this, I don't know, nice acid. Um, it's, it's a very dark, large wine, but pretty light on the, on the palate. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, it's like... Gary Eberly always calls Syrah like blueberries and blood. Right. You know, it's dark. You can't read through it. Super dark wine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you taste it, it doesn't sit heavy. It it's, doesn't sit heavy. I yeah. That's, uh, I love how you said seamless. That really kind of spoke. To me, that made sense to me. That, yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's something that uh, I picked up from Justin Smith. You know, he, he used to use that term. And when I first started working with him, I was like, what do you mean by seamless? And he's like, well, just there's no... To me, if the stem spice is poking out or the fruit is poking out or the barrel is evident or the tannins are evident then it's not seamless right when it's seamless things just roll right into one another and you don't even know when it's leaving one and going into the next it's yeah. just kind of rolling through a ride and and enjoying it and before you know it it's over and and it was fun you know when you first get this uh, news of the 100 point do you open it up that night do you go like oh, i want to hear what i want to see what all the hubbub's no, about i got home and passed out yeah <laughs> Gave my wife a kiss, opened a bottle of champagne, had a glass, and passed out. Yeah, yeah, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't much of a hoorah as, as I thought it would be, and it felt great to get it. But like, uh, I, don't know, I, I immediately just started thinking about the next vintage and, and yeah. how I can get my next one. And because uh-huh. uh, the goal every year is to make a hundred point wine, and not for the sake of the score, but the sake of you know, our job is to give you the best possible representation of those grapes for every year. Well, after uh, Tin City got its first Michelin star restaurant recently, I went and started reading some and different it's in stories. The back of yeah, it's right here. We're, <laughs> we're not a few feet from it. Yeah. Um, I started reading some articles about Michelin stars uh, bestowed to restaurants, and there are a number of restaurants who will actually not accept it. They will give back the Michelin star because they're so overwhelmed with the pressure of one keeping it uh, what happens oh, if you lose it yeah, yeah, what yeah. happens if this what happens if that or, or wow, are you going to are you going to get so many people to come and then they're not you know yeah. is it change the game in such a way that you weren't ready for and and yeah and probably successful in their own right already so didn't really need it or yeah uh, that's interesting uh, I welcome it. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's reading now in their feeds about supply chain issues. Now we're really starting to see stuff come to a head. Have you noticed things, foils, glass, uh, either from here or maybe from Wine Shine that have been affected by this supply uh, yeah, chain both, issue? Both places. I mean, I think the biggest one is glass. Yeah. Uh, foils for sure. Foil, foils are about an eight-month lead time right now. Jeez. Which is insane. Uh, glass for the entire industry. I mean, we have. I had to change my molds this year just because my molds couldn't. I couldn't find them. So wow. All my custom packaging that I had made for my for my club shipments, I couldn't use any of it because none of my molds fit in the custom. Pa- you know, man. This one. I mean, people understand. It's they understand what's going on, which is nice. It's not like it's just us. It's happening to a lot of. And then tin cans 
for, for the distillery. You know, we, we had that great lemonade product and we couldn't make it anymore because we couldn't get cans. And I, I was like, well, did they stop making aluminum? Like, what the hell happened? Yeah, yeah. And no, they're like, well, whenever we stopped going here. to restaurants, they yeah. stopped selling kegs, and all that keg beer went into cans. So if you think about the millions of kegs sold all That's over the country to- every year. I mean, wow. granted, and also yeah. the boom of the of the canned cocktail and the, the seltzers and everything else. So there was already a pinch on the market, but then all that keg beer, all that draft beer became canned beer because they didn't stop producing beer. They True. just started selling it in a different format. Yeah. So if you weren't getting a container or two containers of cans, nobody even talked to you. Damn. Yeah. And certainly you're not at that level. Oh, no. Pretty Let's cool. talk about Wine Shrine for a second. Sure. Uh, you, Patrick, Mike, and is, is it the three of you? Mm-hmm. Right? You guys have Wine Shine, and it is obviously, besides when I'm here drinking 100-point wine, it is my favorite place to be <laughs> in Tin City. You guys have captured not only a vibe... I know you are very much in the mix and leading the way with flavor profiles and stuff. Well, I mean, look, this is where you guys have taken brandy and literally made it effing cool again. Yeah. You know, I mean, mean, from from good stuff, from good grapes, you know, like uh, poor brandy's gotten the, the short end of the stick for too long. Yeah, it'd be like considered maybe like your grandma's got some E&J in a cupboard oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. somewhere. Or some Christian Brothers. Yeah, or, Christian uh, Brothers, for real. <laughs> but no, I mean, you can get brandy um, made from the grapes of, say, like Saxum or like well, these we places. Are, we are literally making it from Saxum and Turtle Rock and Close to Lynn and... Uh, Unbelievable. You know, great places and, and the quality of the fruits there. You know, And I think the funniest thing we hear is, uh, I like cognac, but I don't like brandy. I'm like, do you know what you're saying? Right. It's like champagne, but I don't like sparkling wine. Like, right. <laughs> but right. most people don't even make the connection because brandy has been so poorly produced in the in the states for so long. That's uh, but it's for really a while, making. Yeah. I think it's growing at about eighteen to twenty percent right now, which is a crazy number um, in that industry. But still, vodka is like we started making vodka. It wasn't wasn't high on my priority list. Um, but you got to do what you got to do. And, and I ended up really actually starting to like the project once we started doing it. And we sold more vodka in eight months than we sold of everything else that we produced combined for the first three years. <laughs> Dang, wow. Now, if you don't know the Tin City Distillery, so obviously Paso Wine Shine is the brandy stuff, and they do other stuff with the Paso Wine Shine. But Tin City Distillery is the same brand under the same umbrella with the same guys and the same under the same roof. But you are doing a vodka, and the color scheme looks remotely similar to Tito's. You've had taste tests, almost have, like the yeah. Pepsi Challenge. For sure. And it actually beats out Tito's. It does. And if if you are a person who's filling a well, I mean, you could probably get it cheaper than Tito's. Yeah, you can. You can. And, uh, you know, we don't – it's interesting because I don't we, I don't want it to be known as, like, the well vodka. No, no. But, but we I, also don't want to price it – like, we want to give it to you for what we – like, a reasonable price because it's, it's not that expensive to make vodka. But also, there are bars here, high-end bars, that use your Cause vodka. It's Because it's, it's good. It's, it's really <laughs> – no, it's great. So yeah. it's like if you – imagine going into a bar and – they told you that their well was Tito's. Well, I'm telling you, like, if you mm-hmm. have Tin City Vodka, you're getting literally vodka that is, it tastes better. And I, I know the whole idea with vodka, it's supposed to be odorless, tasteless, right. colorless, blah, blah, blah. But there is mouthfeel. There are essences there of is, vodka. Well, and I think, too, even with, with odorless and colorless, there can be, I don't know, some, yeah, some kind of tannins and issues. I don't know. There's there's good alcohol and bad alcohol. Do you, you know? feel like you're better, like your palate, your tongue is better at doing one over the other? Spirits, wine? Huh. You have to try harder on Interesting. one? Interesting. One um, come easier to you? I don't know. I kind of put them all in the same boat, really, just from a flavor perspective. I think with food, you know, I think 
I think I'm, I'm fortunate to have a pretty good palate, but I also think it came from uh, my mom's cooking growing up. Like, she cooked a lot of Asian food. Um, she just was interested in it. And the, the amount of spices I was exposed to early on was probably more than the average California kid, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Who's I eating, like, fish sticks and chicken dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I was eating <laughs> Thai and Korean and, and Chinese and, you know. Uh, so I think I was just exposed to enough to, to get my palate kind of where it is. And, and uh, just, I love to eat, too. I yeah. love food. So I kind of consider all the flavor profiles pretty, and I, and I consider them all the same. Like, balance is the key. Whether yeah. it's booze, whether it's food, whether it's wine, I think if you're keeping your, your salt and your acid and your fat in line or in balance, you know, for me it, with wine, it's like, you know, fruit and tannin and, and you know, barrel and everything's in balance. So I, I yeah. don't think, I don't know, I, I approach them all the same, I think. Yeah, it's like that uh, book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Oh, it's heat. a great book. It's a great book. Yeah. And it really talks about just, how to balance. How to balance. Yeah. And I, I, I really do think that that's, and like when we talk about seamlessness in a wine, I yeah. think that's also could be referred to as balance, you know, yeah. um, not having anything just overwhelm the wine, but enjoying kind of all of it at once. Was this fun for you? This is great. This is great. This is just like hanging out. This is what, probably what we would have been doing yeah. if we didn't have a headset on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've always loved uh, talking to you and hanging out with you, man. So thank you so much for uh, Absolutely. giving me time. Absolutely. me for a couple hours too. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. <laughs> And don't get mad if I take a couple more hits of this uh, wine. I have as much as you Revisit. like. I opened it for you. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Appreciate Cheers, it, man. man. Cheers you, to buddy. all the accomplishments. Thank you. And where wine's taking you, man. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you make it easy. Give me that moonshine. We'll get by. We pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Many, many thanks and much deserved respect and congratulations to Don Burns and to Claudia and the whole Turtle Rock team for their new 100-point wine and how that will obviously change the game uh, for these folks and much deserved. Thank you so much for the conversation, uh, You know, especially that kind of conversation to dig that deep. And I know you're doing Harvest right now, Donnie, so thank you so much for your time, my man. Well, all right, on to our Travel Paso Spotlight. Today we're talking about one of my favorite new places to stay. In Paso, and that is the Oxford Suites. Now, it's so interesting when you hear a name of a hotel that you know and have familiarity with because it may be a national name, but when you see one that comes in to town and takes such a special interest in the locality and the hospitality and they just own it, it's really special. And they're located perfectly just off Spring Street, uh, just a few blocks from absolutely everything with a quick walk downtown. You can even shuttle anywhere in town within a five-mile radius, which is super cool and really opens you up to a lot if you want to ride somewhere. Great meeting spaces if you come to Paso for work and play. And here's something that really sets them apart. Their airport shuttle. They can take you, pick you up from the slow airport and the Paso airport. Not always easy to find places so willing to take you here and there. I also had a buddy come in town from L.A. He hosts a podcast called Travel With Meaning. He came here to see and taste Paso, also interviewed me for a future episode. His name is Mike Scheibel, and he was kind enough to jump on here with me for a minute. What's up, Mike? How are you, man? What's up, Adam? Great to hear from you. Well, you sure seemed like you had fun when you came to Paso, yeah? We had an amazing time in Paso. You stayed at the Oxford Suites. I was just talking about them in our Travel Paso Spotlight. I mean, I even saw your room. Uh, The place looks fantastic. What was the vibe like there? 
You know what? I was actually really blown away by the Oxford Suite. Not only were the actual like rooms itself super cozy and really cool, much more upscale and hip than I actually thought it was going to be, but the staff was so lovely, and they made it like so easy and charming. And not to mention, there was breakfast. It was a good location. Loved it. Loved everything about it. You know, I know you came up here to record your podcast, Travel With Meaning, and you were nice enough to have me and we talked about Paso Wine on your podcast. So I encourage folks to uh, look for that coming up in the next several weeks. And I'll let people know when you guys publish, but it was a lot of fun to be on your podcast as well. And thanks for coming to enjoy Paso and to hang out a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I love Paso. It was great to connect with you and I will see you soon. Indeed, my buddy Mike Scheibel from the Travel With Meaning podcast came up to Paso, loved his stay at the Oxford Suites. Check them out. You can learn more at TravelPaso.com. All right, so harvest still going. Get to PasoWine.com. Make your next trip your best trip by getting the lowdown on all the wineries, the activities, and all you need to make your next visit to Paso Wine Country an unforgettable one. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. Where Wine Takes You is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music, good company, performed by Moonshiner Collective. Next time you are cruising on the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, heard weekday mornings on Coast 104.5. And for Wine Country Radio, the Cork Dorks and more, you can tune in and stream anywhere through The Crush 92.5. Thanks for connecting with me again. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Until next time, lift that glass up high. No matter how many points it's scored, all that matters is you love it and that you're sharing and enjoying where wine takes you. Cheers. And give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we can pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we can pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we can pass on down till the job is in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.